0: Dox Church, guys, it's, it's great to be together. Great to see you if you're new. Uh, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. Um, it's great to have you part of the Doxa family today. I want to invite you guys to grab your Bibles and open up, find your way to Genesis chapter 12. All right, today we're going to be picking up our, our study of Genesis that we, we started. I mean, I think back in 2020 that we spent some time going through this, this great foundational book, and as we were going through, we, we went through chapters one through 12. We took a break and then uh, we are picking it up today and going to try and finish this, this really just this book of origins, this foundational book to our understanding of ourselves and our life with God uh, before we hit Easter. But before we jump in, I want to say two things. First, guys, this, this past week was, was just amazing. It was an awesome time for our church. If you're new, I'll kind of just catch you up to speed really quick. But we began 2022 with a vision series where we're kind of considering and talking about these ideas of like faith and dependence and prayer and fasting. And the goal was really just to continue to set the trajectory of our church family going into a new year with this idea and this practice of witness. And we we talked about how witness through prayer equals spiritual power, the strength and the power that we need to navigate life with and for Jesus, because we know the truth in John chapter fifteen that Jesus says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." And so, even as we consider being men and women who just are thriving in the life that God has given us, we know that apart from Jesus, we can't do that. And so, witness. This is what we're trying to hammer in and kind of set the trajectory of Doxa Church. And this last week, as we gathered every night to pray as a church family, was just honestly one of the coolest weeks of of my life. My honeymoon was right up there, but that was for different reasons. But this was just awesome, okay? And I know that, like, as we gathered, like many of you just expressed, like, this just felt right. It felt like we were supposed to be doing this. And I would say that this is part of the Christian life. But it was amazing to be gathered together as a family to kind of depending and believing that God would move in our midst, and we were just praying and talking to the Father together, and we've already heard stories of kind of how God has just miraculously intervened and answered some of these prayers, but this is what I want to say. All right, the last week, Doc, so it was not meant to be some sort of like spiritual binge week. You get that? It wasn't for the goal of us just kind of grinding it out and kind of binging on prayer and fasting so we kind of get our religious pat on the back from God and we kind of feel really good about ourselves and feel really spiritual as we walk through like a dark world. It wasn't for that goal. But really, this whole week, the goal was to kind of take small steps to reinforce a culture here at Doxa of just dependence through prayer and witness. And so as we walk out of this week of prayer and fasting, it's my continued prayer that withness would be a mark of Doxa Church, that this would be burned into your mind and moved to your heart in such a way that this is how we just follow Jesus together at Doxa, Because the reality is this, I don't know if you know this, but the Christian life, living with, walking with Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, which empowers us to just live for Jesus, bringing God glory and good to others. This is what the goal of the Christian life is. And so it's not just a week, but it's a lifestyle. And we're taking small steps to kind of reinforce that as we follow Jesus together here at DOXA. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to quickly mention is in regards to to Nick's announcement about the sabbatical that Lisa and I are going to be taken, and the first thing I want to just say is, like, to our elders and our staff, like, just thank you. Thanks for suggesting this. Thanks for making this happen. I don't want to inflate, like, my roles around here and all that stuff, but I know that in my absence, it's going to create a void, and that people are going to have to step up and do things that I would normally do, and so staff, elders, I just want to say I love you and appreciate you a ton, and thanks for making this happen, but Lisa and I we're, were excited about this, and And I I wanted to just kind of share, like, how you could be praying for us. I know a lot of you have heard about this over the last couple weeks and have asked me, like, man, how can we be praying? So I just want to let you know. There's really two words as I think about this sabbatical that I'm focusing on and Lisa and I are focusing on. It's refreshment and healing. All right, this, this refreshment. As Nick, I got, like, a hair in my mouth. There we go. I shaved this morning. It flew in my mouth. Whatever, okay. But, uh, refreshment like 14 years in in ministry um it's just hard you know and we all get are in hard places and so just asking god to just use this as a time where rest can happen just meeting with him not worrying about having to produce and lead and strategize but just that we would meet god and just the still and the silence and be refreshed and then the healing piece is that you know this this last year has probably been one of the more difficult seasons that lisa and i have ever had to walk through and it's been hard for a lot of us but that god would just meet us and continue to heal hurts in our hearts and just set our minds on him so thanks for praying i appreciate you guys a ton but now that i'm done with all that i get to get into the thing that i am really excited about the bible the book of genesis okay like i said we're we're picking up this study that we started a while ago and i'm going to give a quick Recap to where we're at in Genesis today, but I also want to just mention that all of our past sermons on Genesis are on our website, and so it may be helpful for you to kind of go back and listen to that. I actually did that over the last few weeks, and after I got past like looking at myself and critiquing how weird I look and how awkward I sound and how big my hands are and I wave them all around and all that stuff, you know, it was actually fairly helpful. Okay, so if you want to go back and just catch up, you forget where we're at, just go to doxamadison.com. You can catch up there, but we'll pick up in Genesis 12 today. And I want to tell you that Genesis 12 is a massive chapter in the Bible, not in length, but in significance. All right, see, Genesis is really just a book of origins, which makes it extremely helpful for all of humanity. Because the truth is this, guys, if you don't know where you've come from, and you don't know who you are, it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to know where to go with your life. And Genesis is so foundational it's so helpful for this but today I'm going to introduce you to a guy named Abram all right Abrams a man of, of great faith whom God later changes his name to Abraham which means a father of, of multitude and as we consider Abraham starting at the end of chapter 11 here's what we need to know all right the transition from chapter 11 to chapter 12 is really the hinge on which biblical history and human history swings Right, that Genesis 1 through 11 is really about God calling creation into existence. And then when we get to Genesis 12 forward, really not even through Genesis, but through the rest of your Bible, it's about God calling men and women into covenant, restorative relationship with him. And Abraham is key to this hinge that happens between Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. And so let me get you up to speed. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates everything. He creates humanity, he creates the world, and he really just gives it to us as a gift to enjoy and to steward. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3, the first of humanity. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden in the presence of God, they're with God, and they sin. They sinned against God, they rebelled against God's word and his will and his plans, and they did their own thing, and sin became a very real part, a very destructive part of the human story. And so even practically, as you look around the world today, guys, I want you to know that this is a result of sin, that sin is the root problem on earth above everything else, that it's not primarily like politics or policies or platforms or whatever, people, but the root cause. Every problem is a result of sin because sin is the cause that leads to all negative effects in the world. And what happens from Genesis 3 moving forward is that humanity just gets worse and worse and worse. We get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where God just kind of looks down from heaven and he looks at humanity and he says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then he goes on to even qualify that even more, and he said that every intentions of his thoughts were evil all the time. Only evil all the time. And despite God's warnings... To humanity about the consequences of sin humanity doesn't listen we're really good at that starts when we're kids right you parents you know that your kids don't listen we, we do this with God all the time we rebel things get worse and worse injustice is happening death is occurring And the world that God created is marred and broken greatly by sin and so God's judgment comes in the form of a flood in Genesis chapter 6 God spares a few and he starts rebuilding but if you remember this, guys, the interesting thing, the sad thing, not even interesting, heartbreaking thing, is that after, humanity, or after the flood subsides, humanity just picks up right where it left off. You remember this? The flood subsides, one of the people that God spared, his name was Noah, he built this ark, he gets off, and do you remember one of the first things he does? He plants a vineyard, he gets hammered. And then his son does some wicked, weird, sinful stuff to him. And humanity just continues to go. And sin just affects and continues to infect the human story. And in the midst of this, humanity starts to deal with and try and find a cure to sin. And I'll I'll submit to you guys that this is the state of our world today. That sin is a very real problem. It's the root problem. And people might not see it like this, but we see its effects. War, injustice, the taking of human life, oppression, racism, brokenness, it's all sin, rooted in sin. And a man named Christopher Ashe, he has pointed out that if you study world history, throughout the history of the world, humanity has really tried to deal with sin and bring peace to a broken world in two primary ways. The first is the political activist. All right, and the political activist says men and women are mostly good. That humanity is, is really pretty much good and we just need to work hard For peace and if we work sufficiently hard and sufficiently persuasively that we might bring and we might achieve a little bit of peace in our world today that's the political activist all right the second answer is the answer of the religious separatist all right and the religious separatist says that no the human heart is just sinful there's nothing good in people And so peace on earth is really just impossible. The only way for it to be possible is that we just need to withdraw. We need to separate ourselves from the world and just be in a holy gathering like this all the time. And as we kind of separate ourselves and distance ourselves from the world, we just need to pray. And we need to ask God to intervene in just a supernatural way. But I want you to know that even though both of these responses and answers to how can we fix a broken world have been given throughout history, they just don't work. And as we consider the Bible, we find that it says neither of these are the way. That it's not pious separatism or over-optimistic activism that will fix our broken world, that God has a different plan. And in Genesis chapter 12, we learn of this plan, and it starts with God speaking. And here's what he says, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, who, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram, Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions and they had, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, the oak of Moreh at that time the Canaanites were in the land then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord all right so placing this in context for you all right this comes right after the account of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 if you remember we looked at this a, a couple months ago, but we saw this as like a vivid picture of godlessness where men and women just kind of get engaged collaboratively on like a project to build a tower to reach the heavens so that they can become great. They wanted to make themselves great and in the midst of this god confuses humanity's communication and the project was just kind of destroyed, it was abandoned and we're told That the builders were scattered over the face of the whole earth as part of god's judgment and it's a vivid picture of a broken world and the rest of the bible starting here in genesis 12 is god's plan to bring peace to a broken world it's a story of rescue it's the story of salvation And we get wonderful glimpses throughout the Bible of what it's going to be like when when God brings this world to completion and renews it and restores it. We get glimpses in Revelation chapter 21, right, where God is going to come, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and sin and suffering and death and all of that will be no more. That's the day that we long for, right? This is the day that we strive towards and, and suffer towards and worship towards. But the question is, by what process will this happen how is god going to do that genesis 12. god shows up to a man named abram and he speaks and as he does this we begin to see the redemptive plan of bringing peace and salvation to a broken world so let's walk through this verse one again now the lord said to abram all right and we have to stop there because this is significant in and of itself all right, like I mentioned, Abraham is a big figure in the Bible, a very significant man throughout the history of the world. He's mentioned more than 300 times throughout the Bible. He's mentioned in 11 of the 27 books of your New Testament. He's mentioned in all four Gospels, and he's even referenced by the Lord Jesus himself. And what we're going to see in Abraham as we study him over the next several weeks is that he becomes a prototype of, of someone with faith, a person of faith. Abraham is the prototype. And so we're going to learn a lot about what it means to live a life of faith over the next few weeks. But here is the interesting thing, okay? When God came to him, Abraham was not a Jew or a godly man. All right, There were actually no Jews at this time because Abraham was the first. But what we see in the Bible is that Abraham came from a godless people and a very pagan background. If you look back to chapter 11, verse 27... We get a genealogy of a man named Terah, who's Abraham's dad. And I just want to tell you a little bit about him so in his family so we can understand Abraham and the crazy fact that God even spoke to him here. All right, that Terah was not a godly man. Joshua 24, 2 says that Terah worshipped idols, and he was not a believer in the one true God. And so he was a pagan. He was a sinful man, and he had Abraham... With two other boys, and then those boys had some kids. One of which was called Lot. All right, and there is a lot going on with Lot. We're going to get in him in the in the next couple weeks. All right, it, it's, it, Lot's life was just like one big Doctor Phil show. Okay, it was just terrible. All right, he's later going to live in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah, and even if you don't really know your Bible, you've probably heard people reference Sodom and Gomorrah. And even if you don't know what Sodom and Gomorrah is all about, you know it's not good. All right, so we're going to talk about this again in a few weeks. But Lot lives in a messed up place he later has some daughters of whom he impregnates and starts a different line of people so clearly like some dysfunction some sin going on in Abraham's family this is his family though and Abraham and his family come from a place if you look back to chapter 11 verse 28 it's a place called Ur and Ur again was just a godless place it was filled with idol worship and just wicked spirituality It's ultimately a place later known as Babylon. This is where the Tower of Babel account took place. And the people of Babylon were people who were in many regards enemies of God. They didn't love God. They didn't follow God at all. And so as we consider Abraham, we're talking about a guy from a pagan family and from a group of people who cared nothing about God, who they weren't seeking God at all. But in the midst of this, God was seeking after him. He was seeking after him. And this is really just a picture of us or right, that part of God's plan for peace and salvation for a broken world is to kind of just like cross enemy lines he crosses enemy lines and I just need you to see this okay God doesn't look down at a broken world filled with just like broken sinful people and he doesn't just look down and he said finally I found one guy I found one guy with a little faith. I found one guy with a little righteousness. I found one guy that finally I can use. He's a good man. I can use him to change everything. I can use him to bless the world. I really want you to see this. Guys, there's nothing good in Abraham. There's nothing good in Abraham that God chose him. God just said, I'm gonna save this guy, and I'm gonna bless him, and I'm gonna use him to bless many people so that heaven will be full. The grace of God, it's not Abraham's goodness. And this is the way that it works for us too. And so Christians here, you need to understand that you have not entered the family of God. You have not grabbed hold of the salvation of God because there's something great about you. There's nothing good about any of us. We're made in the image of God, completely, radically, entirely affected by sin. It's the grace of God. And this should humble you. Christians are not peacocks. We don't walk around and show everybody how great we are, and we got it all together. Christians are humble sheep that look to their shepherd for everything. There should be no room. There is no room for pride in the life of a Christian. And for those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus yet, you haven't come into the family of God, you need to understand that just like Abraham, there's nothing good in you you're new i'm sorry to break that to you but there's not there's nothing just like me and you need to know this but while there's nothing good in you god loves you and that is why you're here today because god wants to speak to you just like he spoke to abraham we are like abraham and even though god didn't or abraham did not love god god loved him and even though God, or Abraham wasn't looking for God, God came looking for him. And in this, you see that love, the love of God is not contingent on belief or behavior. And you need to know this, okay? Because I know that some of you have grown up in very legalistic church, churches and you were taught this. I mean, some of you think this. That you have the thought that if I do well, then God will love me. But if not, well, then I'm not loved. You just need to know that that's not what the Bible teaches, And even more, I would argue that this is the view of every other religion in the world. That every other religion in the world, apart from Christianity, will tell you, live like this, and then God will accept you, and then God will love you. But if you don't, then he won't. But Christianity says, God says, no, I love you, period. And he says, accept that love. Walk in that love, and I'll save you, I'll change you, and I'll use you. This is the story of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God breaks into Abraham's life, much like he's broken into many of your lives today. And he says, I love you. Apart from anything that you do, apart from anything that you believe, apart from where you came from, I love you. I want to be your God. I want to change your life, and I want to use you to change everything. And God tells him that he's going to have a son, and that through him would come a descendant who would be the Savior of the world. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Abraham. All right, God comes to him. Now, what does he do? Look back. Look back. What does God do when he comes? Verse 1 again. Now the Lord said to Abraham, He speaks. And up until this point in human history, there's been a long silence where God didn't speak. All right, the last time God spoke, he spoke to Noah, and then there were just generations that came and went. And as we study the history of the Bible together here at Doxa, God throughout human history does not speak consistently. There are oftentimes large gaps. Many, many years in God's speech. But the beautiful thing is this, is right here, God is going to speak to Abram. And we really just need to be reminded of this, that when God speaks, do you know what we call that? The Word of God. Do you know what this is? It's the Word of God. When we consider this book, we're not just talking about a human book. We're talking about a book breathed out by God. And in this, every time we open the Scriptures, God speaks to us. Just like he spoke to Abram. He breaks into our lives with his words. He talks to sinful people doing terrible things, consumed with themselves, not considering anything about God. But he loves us and so he speaks. And so we believe that this is a book that God wrote. And every time we get into it, every time we open up the Scriptures and come to the Scriptures and read the Scriptures, we're hearing the Word of God. God is speaking to us. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3 that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And this is why we're so committed as a church to going through the Bible every time that we gather, because we want you to learn the Word of God. Because when you pick up the Scriptures, it's like the day that Abraham spoke to God. You guys see how awesome this is? We have such a great gift. God is such a good God that He gives us His words and He speaks. And so Abraham gets spoken to by God. Now what is the first thing he says? He says, look back he says to leave right I mean he's like hey I'm God leave now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you now I just want to think about this a little bit because we can read this and just blow by it but guys how many of you if God kind of broke into your life in just a supernatural way and he spoke and he just said okay here's what I want you to do hey first of all now I want you to leave I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends. Just leave, and I'll show you a different way. Uh, You don't need to know where you're going. Just leave everything behind. How many of you be like, you know what? I was thinking the same thing. That sounds great, right? Some of you, you're really godly, and you might do that. But the majority of people would be like, no. Like, I'm good. I'm I'm established. I got a 401k. I just got a Roth, right? This was like the first, I don't even know what a Roth is, but it's supposed to be good, right? This is the first Christmas that Aunt Betty didn't punch Grandma in the face. I'm really kind of hoping for a repeat next year. Like, I'm gonna stick it out, I'm good. Betty, I don't know, that might have been too soon, right? I'm sorry, I don't know. But God tells Abraham, leave. First thing he says, and Abraham, guys, he's 75 years old at this point. Right? He's not like an 18-year-old kid who's got like a lot of energy, always up for an adventure, does, just makes stupid choices, like, and he's just like, this is not Abraham. Abraham's like an old guy in a rocking chair, sipping on his insure sake for breakfast, right? Just strengthening his bones so he doesn't break his hip. This is, this is Abraham. He's established. He's got a home. He's got a family. There's security. There's safety. And God just says, leave. Now, why? Why does God say leave? Here's what I think. All right, God wasn't being harsh and demanding sacrifice from Abraham to prove his allegiance. I really don't think that instead I think what God knew is that Abraham's departure was necessary for his spiritual growth that his environment his culture was not conducive to growth it was anti-God it was pagan his family wouldn't help him on the journey and so he had to leave all that behind to follow God now does this sound familiar at all to you if you know your Bible it should this call to leave everything is paralleled to the call of the gospel. Jesus' call. That the call to come to Jesus is the same kind of call that Abraham received. You have to forsake all hope in everything. I mean, Jesus says, like, if anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, this is Matthew ten thirty seven. In Luke 9, 23, He says, If anyone would come after Me, if let's deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever tries to save his life will... You know, these things, He says, you leave. He says, what good is it for man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And so the Gospel calls us to rest all of our hope on the Word of God and not anything else. And I want you to see something okay when God called Abraham because he didn't guarantee how his life would go he didn't tell you he didn't say it's gonna be easy it's gonna be awesome now what he did guarantee is what ultimately would happen That he did guarantee that The future generations would be blessed, that everything would change, but he had no guarantee of a life of ease and a life without hardships and that everything was going to go well for him and that his barns were going to be filled and he was going to have just a great life. He didn't guarantee that. See, when God calls us, he makes great promises to us, But we know, and we know that like, everything works for good for those who love God, and we know that he says he will never leave us or forsake us, and we know that he loves us and cares for us and provides for us like a good father, but the truth is, guys, we have no guarantee of a life of ease and prosperity. We don't. And despite the widely accepted message of the prosperity gospel preachers, Who will tell you that if you come to God that he is going to cause you to be happy and healthy and wealthy you just need to know that this is not what God says that is an unbiblical thing that has been caught on fire because people want to hear that God never promises that and I want to say to those of you who are considering the gospel this morning if you've been coming around doxa for a while and you've been considering maybe following Jesus You need to know that you don't come to Jesus with the promise of a life of ease and prosperity. This is not why Jesus died. It's just not. Coming to Jesus guarantees you one thing above everything. And it's the thing that you need most in life. It's the thing that you can't achieve on your own. And that is the forgiveness of sin and union with God for eternity. Escaping the terrible conscious reality of hell, which sin leads to. And yes, God will be always with you. And yes, God will empower you to live a life of joy and contentment, no matter what life throws at you. And yes, he will be your guide and your counselor and your friend. But there is no guarantee for an easy life. Jesus didn't even have that. Why do we think we would? He was poor. He got killed. The man of God. There is no guarantee for this. But there is a guarantee God's salvation his presence and power in your life and that's enough amen this is what it's about and so if you have not come to Jesus I need to tell you that he is what you need above everything because your sin is a very real problem and it has eternal ramifications and without Jesus you are in a very dangerous place because you are incapable to fix your life that has been broken by sin and that's why jesus came and that's why jesus died and that's why jesus rose and this is god's ultimate promise for you when you come to jesus in faith forgiveness and salvation so everything i can say to persuade you to follow jesus come to him come to him but if we look back to the text there are in fact rich promises made to abraham look at verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, God says, I'm going to do great things in and through your life. And I want you to notice, God says, I will do these things. I. I will do it. I am God. I will do it. And this is so significant because it's not about what we will do. This is the Tower of Babel. We're going to make ourselves great. We're going to build this thing to heaven. God says, I am going to do this. It's not about us. It's all about him and what he has done and what he will do. And while we have to acknowledge that these particular promises of God to Abraham do not necessarily like belong to us, guys, the principle abides. And one of the greatest principles is that God accomplishes his call to faith and discipleship by promises. And promises are just blessings And this is a big theme throughout the Bible. And we see that here with Abraham. If you fast forward to the New Testament, you get to places like Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing through Christ. And even when we look at Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 3, he's kind of interpreting this passage that we're in. We see Paul understood that this promise to Abraham was about the coming and the redemption of Jesus. It might come up here on the screen Galatians 3 16 I just want to read this I want you to listen now the promises this is what Paul says in regards to Genesis chapter 12 now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring it does not say and to offsprings referring to many but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ so doxa, understand this in the calling of Abraham it was Jesus who was ultimately promised That when god calls and tells abraham all families on earth shall be blessed by you he's talking about the incarnation of jesus who would come from the line of abraham and so the promise is that jesus is coming and so abraham's god is jesus abraham's hope is jesus abraham's faith is jesus that jesus is the blessing to the nations of the earth Jesus is the one who takes the hand of Abraham, and by faith, Abraham walks with Jesus. And it's Jesus that makes all the difference in the world, and it's Jesus who changes and uses Abraham, and it's Jesus at the center of God's plan to redeem and to restore and to bring peace to a broken world. And so ultimately, Abraham trusted Jesus, and he didn't know what was ahead, but he trusted in the promises of God. And he followed his will and his words. There's a great theologian named John Calvin. He interprets this and really translates this passage like this. He says, God told Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. This is really the picture that we get here. Close your eyes and take my hand you might ask god where are we going and god just says don't worry just stay close to me this is a life with god through faith abraham believed and trusted in god's promises and i'll say this guys our lives will be filled with opportunities like this that god will speak to you and god will lead you the question is is will you trust and follow knowing that he is good and he has a good plan Abraham did this, and that's why he is the prototype of faith. If you fast forward in the great chapter of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, he is lifted up and elevated as one that we should look to as a man of faith. And so I'll ask you guys, how is God leading you right now? And how are you not following? Because you don't trust him. You have a lack of faith. Are there things that God has put on your heart to do? Are there people that God has put on your heart to talk to? Are there situations that God has put on your heart to address, to give in a radical way that don't make sense? We've been talking about church plants. Going to Japan, going to Ann Arbor, there's going to be, Lord willing, in the life of Doxa, many, many, many church plants. And God might break in and just be like, you need to go. And this might not make any sense. But will you follow? Follow? knowing that he has a better plan for your life than you do this was abraham now look at verse 4 just circle this in your bible so abraham went he went as the lord had told him and lot went with him abraham was abraham was 75 years old when he departed from haran and took sarah his wife and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they got to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Okay, Abraham just obeyed, he trusted God, and he went. He left. And this might seem crazy and radical and be like, that is for like crazy Christians. Those people that are going to Japan, those families that are selling their house and quitting their job and finding a new one and starting all over, those are for crazy, radical Christians. I want you to know that that is just being a Christian. Following the word of God, the leading of God, and being obedient. It's not radical, it's loving Jesus. And Abraham did this, and he ends up in a place called Shechem. And I want to tell you about this, okay? Because as we consider this place, we begin to see more clearly the redemptive plan of God, the mission of God, that Jesus saves people to use those people to save more people. All right? And that Shechem is important in the Bible. It's a very important city in the Bible because this city represents the sinfulness of man and the failure of man to properly honor God while at the same time revealing God's faithfulness. See, this city, Shechem, It was just an evil place. And the tree of Moray is this place where people would go and they would worship false gods. And this is the place that Abraham was sent to by God. Now you have to ask, like, why? Like, what is a godly man? What is a godly man doing in a place like that? A wicked, evil place. Here is what you need to know, and do not miss this, Doxa. Abraham becomes the first great evangelist in the Bible. But as soon as he hears from God, he goes out and he tells people. And this is the flow of so many people that you see throughout the scriptures. And this is the flow of how the Christian is supposed to live. They meet God and they immediately just go and start telling people that Abraham is so excited about God that he just can't constrain his joy. And he has to go tell other people. And God sends him to Shechem. This dark, wicked, vile, evil place, because that's where God's people are supposed to go. They're supposed to bring light into darkness. And Shechem was dark, it needed light. I love the fact that Abraham goes to Shechem. You know why? He's got God's heart. He's got God's heart. He goes to dark places because this is when the light of the gospel shines the brightest. And he knows, I am just a Babylonian. I'm broken, I'm sick, I'm wicked, I'm sinful. And you know what? These Shechemites, they're just like me. They're just like me. And they need to meet God. And they need to trust Jesus just like me. Because he loves them and he can help them and he can save them and he can forgive them. And he can change their entire life, their entire eternity. And so he goes and he says, hey, my name is Abram. I am really messed up. I'm sinful. I got a dad and an uncle that do a bunch of crazy stuff. I come from a terrible group of people, but I met God. I met God, and I got good news for you. He loves you, and he wants to be your God. And he goes to them, and he just talks to them and loves them. Guys, I love this. This is the Christian life. Do you understand that? This is not primarily the Christian life. Some of you, I know your, your, your view of the Christian life is like, I go to church. You need to read your Bible and understand that that's not the heart of God. That's part of our lives. Actually, some of you have been told if you're a Christian, you shouldn't hang out with sinful people or go to dark places. Here's what I'll tell you, because this is what the Bible says. Go there. Just don't sin and blend in, but go there. God loves where there is broken, wicked, sinful people because this is his whole thing. Saving people, forgiving sin, changing lives. This is what he's best at, saving sinners. Are there anybody in here that's been saved by the saving grace of Jesus, right? This is our story, and God loves to do that. He's good at it. This is his thing. And so God sends Abraham to a people far off because the truth is that God uses people to save people. And as abraham is in shechem here's what god says verse seven then the lord appeared to abram and said to your offspring i will give this land so he built an altar to the lord who appeared to him for there he moved to the hill country on the east of bethel and pitched his tent in bethel on the west and ai in the east and there he built an altar to the lord and called upon the name of the lord god said here's another promise i'm going to give you this land we'll talk about this promised land at a different time but what does abraham do he builds an altar and he has a church service right there in the darkness of Shechem. He grabs his family who went with him, some of the Shechem people that started gathering around, and he sings, he worships, he praises, he prays. Martin Luther says he preached, and I love this. Do you see how God works to redeem a broken world? He comes to broken, sinful people. He loves them through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He saves them, redeems them, and brings them to himself. And then he sends them out as lights into dark places so that more people can meet Jesus. This is the mission of God. And this is what we're all about here at Doxa. The mission of God. And so I'm out of time, but let me just wrap this up, okay? We're going to keep going through Genesis over the next few weeks, but here's how I want to end. Genesis 12 shows us that Jesus is the hope of the world and at the center of God's redemptive mission on earth. That This promise given to Abraham is for us that we sinned. God loves, God pursues. God promises that Jesus is coming and will take away the sin of the world. And then 2000 years after God tells us to Abraham, Jesus comes. He lives, he dies, he raises, and he says, "Come follow me. Come to me. Let me take your sin." And through faith, Jesus takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Brings us into the family of God and he sends us out on mission with him across your dorm hallway across your street across the country across the world doctor God blesses you to be a blessing just like Abraham we have a mission that the gospel came to you on its way to someone else and we go just like Abraham we go to the Shechem's we go to these dark places, the people far from God, whom God loves, and we give them the greatest gift in the world the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel that was given to us by someone who lived like Abraham and went. And it's the gospel that changes us and gives us a new eternity. And we go empowered by witness. What we practiced last week, prayer and fasting, being with God, this needs to be the rhythm of our lives because we can't do this on our own. It's withness through prayer that leads to spiritual power, living like and for Jesus for the glory of God and the good of the world. Doc, so this is who we are. And just like Abraham went, we say, God, so will I. Let me pray. God, thank you for the life of Abraham. God, his faith challenges me. God, I pray that you would help me be a man of faith like that. God, would you form us to be a church filled with people like that. That when you break in and you speak, we listen and we obey. move that in our hearts and our heads from being just like radical Christianity to this is actually what it means to follow Jesus and God I thank you for Andy in and my life the guy that you broke into his life much like Abraham and you spoke to him and you saved him and you said go and you sent him into my life Everything has changed. God help us to be like those Andes that just go radically with your gospel, empowered by witness, so that more and more people can meet Jesus. God, we love you. Give us the pat- posture that we will just say so will.